Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. MiniCoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out MiniCoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, my guest is Carrie McDonald. Carrie is a senior education fellow at Foundation for Economic Education and the author of Unschooled, Raising Curious, Well-Educated Children Outside the Conventional Classroom. She is also an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute and a regular Forbes contributor. Carrie's research interests include homeschooling and alternatives to school, self-directed learning, education entrepreneurship, parent empowerment, school choice, and family and child policy. Her articles have appeared at the Wall Street Journal, Newsweek, NPR, Education Next, Reason Magazine, City Journal, and Entrepreneur, among others. She has a master's degree in education policy from Harvard University and a bachelor's degree in economics from Bowdoin College. Carrie lives in Cambridge, Massachusetts with her husband and four children. And last but not least is, of course, a homeschooler. Carrie, welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be with you, Tom. Thanks for having me. So over the past couple of years, uh, homeschooling is certainly hit a lot of people's radar screen when they've seen what, first of all, people are teaching their children in school. And also now because they're putting all kinds of requirements on the kids from masks to possibly uh, mandatory vaccines and not just the usual vaccines they've been mandating all our lives, but the new COVID vaccine, which is less than a year old. So lots of people are interested. Lots of people are curious but you've decided to homeschool long before any of this happened. What what first got you into it? Sure. Yeah, I was an economics major, as you mentioned, as an undergraduate. And so I became really interested in looking at education through the lens of economics and particularly discovering that compulsory government schooling limited um, education choice, freedom and free market solutions. And so that's what prompted me. Uh, to go to graduate school in education policy. I also had a chance um, as an undergraduate as part of kind of combining economics with my interest in education to to shadow a homeschooling family at the time. This was in the late 1990s. And I was just enchanted by what I saw. So I knew that that homeschooling was really 
uh, an interesting education model, like nothing I had ever seen before. I went to K to 12 public schools. I had never really thought much about uh, a different way of, of learning and uh, child development until um, kind of starting to see that there were these other emerging models. Um, so that piqued my interest along with kind of the larger policy focus on, on school choice that was uh, sort of beginning to come on the scene around the turn of the millennium, um, particularly with charter schools, kind of the, the beginning of that movement. Uh, and so I did some work there, but always had homeschooling in the back of my mind as this, you know, truly innovative model for learning that puts not only um, learners back in the driver's seat of their own education, but parents as well, and, and kind of uh, that parent empowerment that's so critical. Uh, so when, you know, sort of a decade later, I was looking for education options for my own family, um, you know, homeschooling seemed a natural fit. We are um, located in Cambridge, Massachusetts. There's a really vibrant homeschooling community here, lots of, you know, great activities and resources. And so it really seemed to me that you know, and my husband, that if we had sent our children to school, their world would really contract that instead of kind of this vibrant city and all of these wonderful um, kind of people, places and things to discover around us, they if they went to school, they would be going to kind of the same um, building every day with the same static handful of teachers and the same age segregated group of students uh, doing the same standardized curriculum. And so it really seemed like their learning would contract if they went to school. And we wanted to continue um, to provide this really expansive, immersive learning environment that we found with homeschooling. Well, in your answer, as far as what's wrong with school, it sounds like at the beginning, um, like me, you didn't like what they were teaching, but it isn't just what they teach. And it's not just public school. It, it's also most private schools. It's also how they teach it. What do you see as the chief problems with the school paradigm or the school structure and trying to educate children? Yeah, I mean, I think that the primary problem really is coercive schooling, particularly compulsory education. Um, so while, you know, some sort of these stop, top down standardized models for learning do exist in private education as well, uh, parents have much more choice and freedom uh, in that realm than they do in compulsory government schooling. Uh, and even many private schools in many states are still under the jurisdiction of the state and kind of deciding what they're able to teach and how they're able to teach and, and how they test and so on. So, um, you know, I think any chance that we can provide for parents to opt out of um, the kind of assigned district schooling model and pursue private education alternatives, whether that's homeschooling or um, even a conventional private school or an innovative private school model, um, or some of these new learning models that I'm sure we'll talk about, like micro schools that have really um, been kind of soaring over the past couple of years in light of the pandemic response. I think that's really where the, the true um, kind of education opportunity really lies. Now, along with your writing, I'm definitely going to link to John Taylor Gatto's famous acceptance speech from the early 1990s when he was getting the Teacher of the Year Award, and he basically got up and went on a diatribe about why school doesn't work. And I just remember that when I first started trying to educate myself about homeschooling, you know, that's one of the first things I stumbled upon, and it just hit me like a thunderbolt. I, I was not a particularly good student. I, I was good at taking the tests. So 
somehow or other, I would ace all the finals and then that would save me every year. And the Gatto essay or speech, whatever you want to call it, hit me so hard because it just matched my experience. And the idea of, you know, we're going to study science for 45 minutes and a bell's going to ring and we're going to march off to read poetry and another bell's going to ring and then we're going to march off to do something else. It doesn't sound like from your book that you think that's a very good idea. Yeah. I mean, John Taylor Gatto is a legend, sadly, passed away a couple of years ago. But um, as you mentioned, he was teacher of the year in New York, and he famously quit that teaching job um, in the pages of the Wall Street Journal uh, op-ed uh, in 1991, where he said, you know, government schooling kills the family. You know, it sort of takes children in the best times of their lives, and I'm paraphrasing here, um, away from their parents and puts them into this kind of standard standardized factory model of, of education that destroys their creativity and individuality and curiosity. So he's fantastic. And I'd encourage your listeners to read any of his books, um, Dumbing Us Down, uh, The Weapons of Mass Instruction, just fantastic reads um, that I think will really galvanize a lot of parents to take the leap into homeschooling that so many parents have discovered not only over the past couple of decades, but most recently and most strikingly uh, over the past couple of years. This is what I tell people when they ask me about homeschooling. Well, the one thing you don't want to do is try to recreate school at home. And I, I know you agree with that. What should schooling look like? Or I should say, what should education look like directed by the parent? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of parents, when they, um, enter into homeschooling think that they just need to replicate school at home. And of course, the school shutdowns in the spring of 2020, um, when there was so, the so-called, you know, pandemic homeschooling or emergency homeschooling in light of the school closures, I think a lot of families thought, gosh, you know, is this, is this really what homeschooling is? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just doing Zoom school from my district into my living room and this is miserable. Um, and, you know, homeschoolers like you and I would say, actually, that was, that's nothing like homeschooling, um, that, you know, I think today's homeschoolers are really focused on their children's innate curiosity, uh, emerging passions and talents, and parents act more as facilitators and guides and connectors really matching students' interests and, and talents with available resources, both virtual resources. And there's so many now online learning resources available to homeschoolers and non-homeschoolers, many of which are free or, or no, are low cost. Um, or, you know, the very real resources, the people, places, and things of our communities, the classes and activities and mentorship opportunities that we have around us. So I think um, kind of the first step that, uh, you know, homeschooling or prospective homeschoolers should think about is, um, you know, what, what does my child need? How do they learn best? What are, you know, some of the things that make them tick? And then let's think about uh, a learning plan around that as opposing to, as opposed to simply um, replicating the schooling environment that we're leaving uh, in our own homes. There's a reason you're leaving it, right? <laughs> so don't feel the pressure that you have to uh, um, import that into your own home as part of the homeschooling journey. I remember from your book, it, it opens with the story about the beach. And it's a great analogy for a lot of what you just said, because you're looking at unschooled children, as you call them, either your children or, and maybe some others, and then the schooled children. Yeah. 
and they're all released on the beach. The school children are filling out worksheets and the uh, the other children are out there discovering things with wonder. I think establishment people or people trained by the establishment would say, well, yeah, of course, they should They should be using that time productively and filling out those worksheets and learning something. Why is that wrong? Well, I think it's interesting you bring up that story because when, one of the most profound, uh, I think, insights from that anecdote was that I overheard um, this child who had her worksheet in hand um, approach another child with her worksheet and say, oh, look, this is so cool. Look at this critter I just found. And the other child, you know, looked down at the worksheet and said, nah, it's not on the list and kind of walked away. And then you could just see the enthusiasm of the of the previous um, child just deflate, you know, like, oh, okay, you know, and so what what could really have been kind of a magical moment of discovery on the brink of summer on a beautiful, bright June day, um, you know, turned out to be just sort of another uh, worksheet driven um, schooling experience. Do you think it's a true statement to say we have this idea that our kids have to go to school and they have to learn one through 10 on this list of scientific knowledge and one through 10 on this list of things they have to read probably should include Shakespeare and Saul Bellow or whatever. And, you know, they have to learn how to do math and division and, and subtraction and some algebra. It's not really that important what they learn as much as that they learn how to learn. Is that a good way of putting it? I think that's part of it, although I do make it really clear uh, in my unschooled book that, you know, parents are the ones ultimately responsible for their children's education. Parents are the ones responsible for making sure that their children are highly literate and numerate. And that goes for parents whose children are homeschooled, as well as parents whose children are in a conventional school. Um, that it really ends with the parents, that they're the ones who have to make sure that their children are receiving the absolute highest quality education and learning um, the most that they can be learning, living up to their full potential. Uh, you know, so I think that there's a lot more flexibility when we think about education beyond schooling. And we think about all of the kind of myriad ways that children can learn and the ways that we can make learning really exciting and interesting for, for young people. Um, that doesn't happen typically in a conventional school environment, but uh, it really, you know, does, it is the responsibility of parents to make sure their kids are, are learning. Sure. Then there's some skills that you definitely will need. Math is not a bad one <laughs> to train yourself on. Um, you know, it's one of the ones that you actually will run up against, even if you don't realize you're doing mathematics, you're, you're doing them in just about every job that you'll ever do. Um, you've got a master's of education from Harvard. What do you say to somebody who honestly thinks maybe I'm not qualified to educate my own child? I really should leave this to the experts. Well, I guess the flippant response is, you know, if you went through 13 years of compulsory government schooling, then what does that say about the education you received? If you don't feel like you're <laughs> able to sort of facilitate your own child's education, I think that the sort of stereotype of homeschooling of parents sitting around a kitchen table with textbooks kind of teaching their children um, from the textbook is just simply not true today. I'm not sure if it was ever really true, but it's definitely not true in the 21st century when we have so many resources around us. And one of you know the examples I like to use, and I, and I talk about it a little bit in the book, is 
my older daughter, who's now 15, has been learning Korean language for several years now. Um, and I don't know Korean language. No one in my family, no one in my friend circle knows the Korean language. But I was able to find through our kind of larger urban community, a native Korean language speaker who, with whom my daughter meets regularly um, for one-on-one -on -one tutoring. And, you know, that's the kind of, um, I think, learning experience that typically occurs today with homeschooling is that parents don't have to be there um, feeling like they have to teach calculus or they have to teach chemistry. Um, it's really about connecting their children to the available resources, abundant resources, so many more resources now than kind of at the dawn of the um, modern homeschooling movement in the early 1970s. So it's a lot easier to be a homeschooler now and uh, I think a lot more enriching. that time of the year again when we're all looking for something special to give friends and loved ones for the holidays. Unfortunately, the government and its bank have worked especially hard this year at doing what they do best, make things more expensive for the rest of us. Well, I have great news. You can get a free copy of my new ebook, An Anti-State Christmas. That's my gift to you in appreciation for listening. But that's not all. I've also made the book available as a paperback at an incredibly low price, so you can get a few copies to give as gifts. It makes a great stocking stuffer. And don't worry, this is not some preachy libertarian treatise. It's full of fun and even includes a special Christmas beverage recipe. Get more information and your free ebook at antistatechristmas.com. What has changed about the approach to homeschooling since you wrote your book in the old normal in 2019 and 2021? Right, a lot. Well, so yeah, the book came out in the in May of 2019, uh, and the spring of 2020 uh, sales took off. Um, you know, I think I actually sold more books in 2020 than I did in 2019 as so many parents kind of got a taste of learning at home with their children during the school shutdowns, even though it was not what we would consider kind of authentic homeschooling. But they, you know, at least started to think about uh, maybe some different learning models. And to the point you made earlier, they also for the first time had a had a direct link to what was happening in their children's classrooms through Zoom schooling. And in many cases were, um, you know, floored by what they were seeing, by what their children were learning or what they weren't learning. Uh, and then with the prospect, I think, of schools being closed as they ended up being in the fall of 2020, many families, you know, decided to pull their kids out of school for what they thought was just a temporary, um, you know, hiatus during the school closures. And they ended up really liking <laughs> that experience. So. Um, the U.S. Census Bureau probably has the, the best data set on what actually happened with education over the past um, almost two years now. And they found um, that homeschooling tripled from pre-pandemic rates. So prior to the pandemic, the U.S. Department of Education 
um, counted just under 2 million homeschoolers. By the spring of 2020 uh, to the fall of 2020, the numbers of homeschoolers doubled. And so now uh, we have more than five and a half million homeschoolers, which is more than 11% of the overall K to 12 school age population. So from kind of three and a half percent or a little bit less than three and a half percent of the population pre-pandemic to then jumping to over 11 percent um, as of 2020. And then just when we thought that, you know, schools reopening this fall might have led more families to re-enroll their children in school or many families had kept their children out of kindergarten during the 2020-2021 academic year, expected their, those kids to, to head back into school and that just has not happened, uh, particularly in many large urban districts. I think, for example, of Los Angeles, um, in the previous academic year, 2020-2021, they lost um, somewhere around 4,800 public school students. And this year, they lost 6,000. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, the, the numbers are going in the opposite direction that you'd expect. I think as more families again, discovered that homeschooling might be much more rewarding and fulfilling than they expected, uh, as well as just the growth in general of private education, private schools seeing an uptick in enrollment, and then the kind of burgeoning microschool movement, a lot of families discovering what are what were known as pandemic pods, or these kind of small home-based, multi-age, one-room schoolhouse models during the pandemic, um, that this is a, a, a movement that had been gaining traction prior to the pandemic and kind of took off during it. And then uh, now it seems, you know, well positioned to um, to get to make further gains. So I think there's just a lot more alternatives for families now, and they're eager to seek them out. Well, you know, if we talk about homeschooling, I'm going to have to bring this up. What we've all faced from even people, as I said, of, of goodwill. What about socialization? They <laughs> First thing that somebody says is, well, you know, I'm really interested in homeschooling, but uh, I worry about socialization. And, and as far as flipping answers go, I, I have two, actually. If I'm in a grouchy mood, I'll say, no, you're not. You're just repeating some, some word that no normal person would ever use unless they heard it on TV or, or somewhere. Uh, or I tell them, the, well, I'm not worried about that. My child gets enough socialism on, uh, from the TV and, and the internet. So, <laughs> But I'm sure you have a more constructive answer. Should we worry about them not seeing as many kids? Or is it just not true that they don't spend as much time with other kids? Well, I'm ashamed to admit that when I first uh, started you know, researching homeschooling, as I mentioned, back in the late 1990s and visited with a homeschooling family for the first time, I initial question to them was, what about socialization? So I sort of cringe now when I think about, <laughs> about falling into that trap. But I think what it is, is that we're all so conditioned to believe that a child cannot be properly socialized without being uh, enrolled in sort of this age segregated, um, you know, standardized, typically government run learning environment, and nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, what I quickly discovered with this particular homeschooling family that I um, met with was that that child had much more socialization, much more opportunity to be social, which is, I think, actually what most people are saying when they when they talk about socialization, um, than the other uh, elementary school age children that I was shadowing or or um, 
um, involved in a teaching practicum with at a local public elementary school at the same time that I was shadowing this homeschooling family. Um, so the, the elementary school children, you know, they were the ones really lacking in socialization. You know, they were um, learning to be obedient, to conform, um, to, you know, kind of replace their originality and their individuality with compliance to kind of these arbitrary rules. And um, what I saw instead with the homeschooled children was that um, their learning was so much more uh, authentic and well-rounded and, you know, really um, reflected their kind of larger interactions in their communities. And this is, you know, the research really backs this up. Um, Daniel Hamlin is a professor at the University of Oklahoma, and he's done some great research on homeschoolers. And he found that homeschoolers have much higher rates of what he calls cultural capital uh, than children in public schools. So they are um, typically double um, or twice as likely to attend uh, cultural events, historic sites, um, musical events in their community to uh, go to the library, go to the bookstore, go to museums, go to art shows um, in a given month than their public school peers. So when we think about opportunities that homeschoolers have to be social and to be immersed in their communities, in fact, they, as Daniel Hamlin puts out, points out, actually might have more opportunities because they have so much more freedom and flexibility uh, in their daily lives. One of the things I remember from Gatto's books, I can't remember which one, that it's a lot more natural for a child to be in an environment with some other children and other adults, and that the, the natural way that civilization kind of um, became civilization is from children emulating adults, learning from them, being interested in what they were doing, not being segregated, as you said, into this artificial environment where everyone's the same age. And, and while they're sitting in their desk and being told not to stand up and not to talk to each other, that, that certainly isn't a social situation. So it's really outside of school, after school, that all the so-called socialization that's valuable happens. And of course, your homeschooled child, that's going to be available to them. Plus, since they're not putting in a set amount of time rigidly enforced, you will be here for these hours in this particular room. There's probably the opportunity for more. Isn't that right? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I certainly remember from my days in public school, the teacher, you know, saying to the class, um, you know, be quiet, don't talk out of turn, there's plenty of time to socialize after school, right? So that was where, you're right, that was where most of these opportunities to be social um, took place. It was outside of the classroom. Uh, and of course, you know, when I was growing up, uh, we had so much more freedom and, and opportunity in the afternoons. Our, our days weren't quite as scheduled and rigid as, unfortunately, so many children's schedules are today. You know, we actually had wide open afternoons and summer times to, to play and, and explore with our peers, you know, without kind of the constant uh, hovering of adults. And of course, that's lost today, too. So I think, you know, one thing that homeschoolers, at least in my experience, um, are really committed to is, is providing children um, with a lot more freedom, with, uh, you know, the chance to, you know, be kids and to kind of develop on their own timetables uh, and really discover, you know, who they are. You know, one of the interesting tidbits of research that I cite in the unschooled book looks at the um, outcomes of grown unschoolers 
And I cite research done by um, Peter Gray, who's a professor of psychology at Boston College, a big unschooling, self-directed learning advocate. Uh, and he also wrote the foreword to my unschooled book. And he and his colleague, Gina Riley, surveyed uh, grown adult unschoolers who learned in a much more kind of um, uh, less structured, more informal way. And he found that you know, most of them did quite well in adulthood. They were happy and fulfilled. If they chose to go to college, they, um, you know, were successful. But more than half of them became entrepreneurs uh, in his sample. And they were doing work that connected to interests that they began to develop and cultivate when they were children or adolescents. Um, and so I think that just speaks to the power of childhood and adolescence and the ways in which adults can facilitate kind of the emergence of these uh, real talents. One of the things that you hear a lot of today is how America is falling behind. This especially comes from people who are very politically oriented, the kind of our children are falling behind the other developed nations. And what do you say to somebody who says, okay, it seems like Asian kids, Chinese kids, for example, have a very heavily structured education and their parents very sternly make sure that they complete their assignments and they seem to be achieving more. Is that kind of a myth or are they doing something that we are not perceiving correctly or what's what's the story behind that? Well, it's interesting. I, you know, it makes me think of when I was um, studying economics as an undergrad, um, one of my professors did a lot of work um, at a university in China, and she indicated at the time that um, the Chinese economics students were far better at math than the American economics students that she had. Um, but when it came to kind of analyzing the data, they were much more lacking. So if they came out, for example, with a negative price at the end of their proof, it, you know, often they wouldn't kind of catch that that was a problem, whereas the American students would kind of quickly pick up on the conceptual aspect of it. And, you know, you wonder if that's partly the training of the regimentation and the standardization that focuses on getting the right answer, um, but to the detriment of, you know, real critical thought and reasoning and creativity. Um, and so, you know, I think it's just what you're looking for in terms of your education model uh, a little bit of both is probably, you know, not a bad thing, but, you know, add air on the side of kind of uh, making sure we're, we're valuing critical thinking and critical reasoning skills uh, over rote memorization and regurgitation. It's a great point that certain kinds of cultures might lend themselves to certain kinds of aptitudes, because what you said, just the word regimentation, I remember that I was in a business in the mid 2000s where we were thinking about doing some manufacturing over there. And we, we sent somebody to visit the facility and the factory workers marched to work. <laughs> they, I mean, they weren't made to do that. That was just what they did. They all lined up and they marched into the factory like they were in the army or something. And it was just part of the culture. So um, I don't think it's a bad thing either that different kinds of cultures might produce different kinds of aptitudes. I mean, that's the real diversity, isn't it? Rather than ethnic or racial. Yeah, and I think it goes back to sort of the point I made earlier is that it really comes down to parental choice 
in education that parents should be able to choose from an, a whole suite of education options for their children and and select the one that's best for their family, best for their values and vision of what an education should be and the best educational fit for their child. Um, and what works for my child might not work for your child. What works for my family might not work for your family. Um, and if we had a, a larger kind of education system that runs on free market principles of choice and and um, and freedom, then you know we would have so much, so many better outcomes. I think than we certainly currently do in the U.S. Let me ask you this: for a parent who has not given this a lot of thought, but now is really thinking about it and may not have ideological reasons. They're just very unhappy with sending their kid back to school, let's say next semester. What advice would you give somebody who feels like, I want to get my kid out of this? How do I start? What's Give me a, a little plan to get started for the first four or five months till I figure out what I'm doing. Yeah, well, I just back up and say that, um, most of the reasons that modern homeschoolers are choosing this learning option are not ideological. In fact, again, according to the 2016 um, U.S. Department of Education data on homeschoolers, which is the most recent kind of um, analysis nationally about the, the homeschooling movement, they found that the number one motivator for today's homeschoolers is concern about the environment of other schools. Um, and so really, that is the primary reason that parents are, are pulling their kids out of school or choosing not to enroll them in schools to begin with, is that they, they're not happy with the environment of conventional schools, most cases in assigned district school, and they want something else for their kids. So it's not ideologically driven. Um, and then in terms of, you know, first steps, I think that the, the, certainly the advice I give to families is the number one thing to do is to connect with other local homeschoolers. And typically the best way to do that is through social media is to find these kind of private groups, some cases public groups on Facebook or elsewhere, or different Google groups uh, in your local community that can um, that you can join and then find out what's available, meet people, find out different curriculum approaches, different educational philosophies, um, and see what works. Uh, you know, that I think is the best, best place to begin. It can also, you know, help you feel more a part of a community, um, learn about the different classes and activities that are going on and the meetups that are, that are happening. Uh, and then I guess the second thing would be, you know, to explore various, you know, homeschooling resources. So there's certainly my book, but there's quite a few homeschooling books um, and articles that, you know, can be really helpful as a parent considers this option. Okay. Well, I know that I've interrupted some homeschooling of your own that was going on right before we started talking. So before I let you go, Carrie, where can people find more of your work and where can they find your newsletter? Yeah. So you can find me at fee.org, fee.org slash Carrie, K-E-R-R-Y. Um, that's my website at Fee, the Foundation for Economic Education. There you'll see links to all my articles, links to my social media accounts. Uh, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter at Fee, and you can also see a link to my book. All right. We'll link to all that as well on the show notes page here. Carrie, thanks so much for coming on and best of luck. Oh, great to be with you, Tom. Thanks so much. Okay, friends, that's going to do it for today. Don't forget to get a free copy of my new ebook, An Anti-State Christmas, at antistatechristmas.com. Of course, if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you normally listen, 
And please do go to the Tom Mullen Talks Freedom website at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and leave a review. And if you like the music you've heard on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at TomMullenSings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.